Just a little. God bless you. Thank you for thinking through that. Bless you. Be grateful. Yeah. Be grateful. helps me to appreciate the good times. So when we were younger, we were indoctrinated into the Americanized study of the Thanksgiving holiday, and it is a national holiday. We, we learned about all the travelers that came to this already discovered land. And we learned about the pilgrims who came and found the indigenous people here. And that's been the essence of the story, but I'm I'm so glad I know great gratitude on a different level. Yeah. Because, because even in my history books, it tells me that, that they were celebrating a bumper crop, the harvest. And I know from the last two weeks, you know that a bumper crop doesn't just get there by itself. And so if you're going to be grateful, you need to be grateful to the one who made the crop possible in the first place. And, that's what we come together to celebrate. And, and, and it didn't matter, didn't matter where you came from, you still knew there was somebody bigger than you who made the crops grow, who made the corn and, and the potatoes all available to you. And we're still celebrating the same thing today. Now, I don't know what you plan on celebrating this Thursday, but I'm going to be grateful to God that he's put all this bounty around me, not just the bounty on the table, but the bounty I'm looking at and talking to and loving and able to be around. That's a bounty as well. And so we thank God for that. I started a few weeks ago talking about maybe doing some teaching or preaching on the service that we have now as it's constituted, this multi-level, multifaceted worship service and how we have become so accustomed to being in this place and learning how to worship the Lord in this place. And I don't know that we need any practice in here. I think we're all right when it comes to the worship in here. We might have to, you know, get our muscle memory back together again because 19 months is a long time to not be together. Some people are still skittish about it, and that's okay. They'll, they'll get here when they get here, if they get here. We'll be here. We're in church. We're in worship now. We're in worship now. But there are some who still at the house, and, and I'm so glad the Lord let me have the experience a few Sundays of being at the house and worshiping because it gave me a perspective that I would not have had otherwise. My perspective is always pushing and being out front. But I got to become what everybody else is now, and that's a consumer of what we were putting out. Yeah, that's what the church has become in some respects. We've become consumers. Because you can literally on Sunday sit there and flip the channel. And you can go from service to service, and you're consuming. And so people are, are picking they're picking worship services like they're picking Netflix shows. That's what's happening. And so the question becomes, how do you put a proper frame of reference in place? When I'm sitting here and I'm looking at somebody in Birmingham and then I flip and I'm watching somebody in Houston, Texas, and then I'm flipping and I'm watching somebody in Virginia, how do you put that in place? And how do you make it reverent? so that I have the proper frame of reference 
See, it was different when we just had folk like right now in this service. I know for a fact now. I got folk who have come to us from different places. I see Brianna from Texas is here, and I see Anissa is here from Louisiana. These people have come back to the house. But I'm not talking about them coming back to us. I'm talking about us going to them. That's a different thing. And I'm sitting there watching that people can do this in their pajamas. They, they, they enter to, into a space of worship in a different frame of worship, frame of mind than they would ever have coming through these doors. And how do you make the experience appropriate under those circumstances? Because the experience still has to be, I'm meeting the Lord, no matter where you are. It still has to be appropriate for that. And so there's a passage of scripture that the Lord put on my mind. It comes from Exodus. You know the character who's involved, but I don't know if you've looked at his experience in the way that I want you to see it today. And I think it'll help us frame ourselves on those Sundays when we decide I'm going to go in there two weeks and I'm going to stay at the house two weeks. I don't know what your deal is. Some people have made that choice already. You know, I'm going, you know, I don't know if I'm going every Sunday. But every Sunday needs to be Sunday. Every Sunday needs to be a Sabbath. Every Sunday needs to be worship. And how do you have a consistent worship experience? Even when you're not in the sanctuary. That's because the place you, be, you are in has to become a sanctuary. All right? And so I want to talk today just a little bit about changing the atmosphere. Changing the atmosphere. I, I, well, changing the atmosphere. It's not really complicated that whenever the Lord shows up, things got to be different. Yeah. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. I want to give you a formula that I think may be usable you might want to take some notes, that might be usable when you're not in the physical sanctuary. It's not my purpose to give you a reason to stay at home, but if you find a reason to stay there, then let's be consistent in how we deal with it. Yeah. And so the character you're familiar with is Moses. Moses. And I always assume when we get in this space that people know these Bible characters. But see, that's the difference. When you're in a consumer stance, everybody doesn't know who you're talking about. Some people have never heard of Moses. They don't know. They never saw Prince of Egypt, the cartoon. They don't. As old as that is, they don't know what that is. They don't know about a sea being parted. They don't know what that is. We make assumptions, and we can make those assumptions when we're in a total church environment. And sometimes we shouldn't have been making those assumptions in this space because visitors may not have understood it then. And we start talking over people's heads. Yeah. But in order to understand Moses and the predicament he found himself in, I got to go back a little bit and talk about some of his ancestors. Okay? So if you give me a moment, I want to I walk you up to that place. Just bear with me on this. And this starts in Genesis. That's the first book of the Bible. Chapter 50, verse 24. The version I'm reading from is the English Standard Version, which may not be your Bible. Might read a little bit different. And so let me see if I can give you, and this is a great story. It's a great story, but it's a story that has a basis in how we worship. Okay. Genesis chapter 50, verse 24, reads this way. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die. But God, watch this, will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I'm about to die, but God's going to keep his promise. 
That's what he said. I'm about to die. I'm paraphrasing. God, God's going to keep his promise. God will visit you and keep his promise. He'll bring you out of Egypt into a land that he has sworn to give you. Let me see if I can stitch this together. God, when he first, in the, in the, in the, in the Bible narrative, we meet Abraham. Abraham, who is counted righteous by God because he had faith in God, becomes the father of all people, according to Scripture. And God promises Abraham that his descendants will be so many that you can't count them. But he tells him he needs to move to a land of promise. Abraham does that, sight unseen, he goes. And then we go through Abraham's descendants. And ultimately we get to a descendant named Jacob. A descendant named Jacob. Jacob has a twin brother named Esau. And Jacob ultimately becomes the father of the nation we know of as Israel. In fact, he becomes Israel. His name is changed to Israel. All right? The action part of the story is that Jacob has many sons. Ultimately, he has 13 sons. All right? But one of them we know about, if we've been in, in vacation Bible school, we know Joseph. Joseph at the time was his youngest son and Jacob loved him. Why? Because he was just, it was his personality. He loved him. And because he loved him, his brothers hated him. Because he was favorite, he was hated. Because he was so hated, the brothers connived, Derek, to get rid of him. They took him out and what they really did was sell him into slavery. Okay? They sold his, him into slavery, but they took this coat that his father had given him, we know the coat of many colors, and they put it in lamb's blood, and they went back home grieving and said to daddy that a wild animal got to your favorite son and killed him. Of course, Jacob was devastated because this was his favorite son. Unbeknownst to him, Joseph went through a whole lot of things, but ultimately, 20 years later, 20 years later, Joseph has become the number two person in Egypt. That's how good God is. He was sold into slavery, and on a trip through prison in Miss Potiphar's house, he ended up, Miss Potiphar's house in prison, he ends up in Pharaoh's house. In Pharaoh's house, he liked him so much, Pharaoh did, that he named him second only to him. And the reason he named him second only to him, this is important, is because Joseph was a dreamer and he could predict dreams. And he predicted that the land was going to have a famine. And the famine was going to devastate everybody around them. That's important. Why? Because back at the home, all his brothers and his daddy are going through the famine. They don't have enough food. So, Cam, they got to make a trip to Egypt. They get to Egypt, and guess who they have to deal with? The brother they sold into slavery 20 years before. But they don't know it's him. Now think about this from his perspective. Jacob has mourned his only sons for 20 years. 20 years he thought he was dead. You can't, the grief there is un unimaginable only to get there and find out he's alive. He's alive. To make a long story short, they have a family reunion, they make amends, and Joseph is now on his deathbed, and that's when he makes this statement to the Lord, to the, to the family, that I'm about to die. Brought you here, got you to the land that God promised, and God is going to make sure he keeps his promise. All right, now let's fast forward. Joseph is dead. The Pharaoh who loved him is gone. There's a new Pharaoh in town. He has no affinity to Joseph's folks who are the Hebrew, the Israelites, and they have grown in numbers. They've had baby after baby after baby, 
And now the new Pharaoh doesn't see the Israelites as friends. He sees them as enemies because there's too many of them. And so he puts them into slavery and he starts trying to he trying to winnow out the numbers. And so he orders this Pharaoh who doesn't care about Joseph and all the story that God told Abraham. He said, get rid of all the male childs. Get rid of every one of them. Get rid of every one of them. And so people are doing everything they can, as you can imagine, to save their babies. And one family, one family. Bithia and her husband had a baby boy. The man's name was Amram. And they decided they were going to save their baby boy by putting him in a basket that was waterproof and floating him down the waterway to, they thought, a safe place. The safe place was in the court of Pharaoh. Dangerous, but maybe not. So the baby floats down and his sister who's 13 years old she's Miriam is watching the basket as it goes down as the Lord would have it it leads it into Pharaoh's daughter's swimming area or bathing area she gets the baby and is so pleased the Bible says this now nothing happens by happenstance she was moved with compassion alright so the Lord fixed her heart so she would take the baby in and raise the baby as her own and she named the baby, watch this, Moses. Moses. So here's Moses, firmly placed into the house of Pharaoh. God lost Joseph in the house of Pharaoh, and now he's placed his man back in the house of Pharaoh as a baby. And because it's a baby, and because Pharaoh's daughter didn't have the baby, she needed someone to nurse the baby. We call them wet nurses. The wet nurse who was available, guess who just had a baby? Moses' real mama. So Moses' real mama is identified to come in, and she ends up nursing her own baby in Pharaoh's court. Can't nobody do that but God. And she stays there nursing her baby until he's seven years old. But during the time that she's nursing him, she's teaching him about his people. He's with the Hebrew people. He's learning who he is. But at age seven, he's got to go to Pharaoh's court where he gets up and he learns the best of the best. He, he's raised with the princes of Egypt, which are Pharaoh's other sons. And he's growing up with the upcoming Pharaohs. He learns their ways. He learns government. He learns everything you could possibly learn. But he's still got a pull in his heart for his folk. And one day he goes home to visit his wet nurse, his real mama, and he sees one of the Egyptians being unkind to one of the Hebrew folk. And in a fit of compassion, he tries to save his fellow Hebrew and ends up killing the Egyptian. Now, you would think that that would have just gone by the by the neighborhood, but folk are always talking. And they sitting around drinking and they talking. You know, you remember that time Moses killed that, he, that, that Egyptian. And before long, the gossip gets to Pharaoh. It's not like anybody walked into the throne room and said, your son Moses killed an Egyptian. It's gossip, idle tongues. And because Pharaoh hears that Moses has killed an Egyptian, he puts a warrant out for him. Moses gets out of town. And he runs to Midian, which is miles and miles away. Moses is about 40 years old when he gets out of town. 40. That's how much time has passed. So for 37, 33 years, he's in Pharaoh's court. He leaves and he goes to the desert. And to make a long story short, he lives in the desert on the run. He's a fugitive. And he marries someone there, a woman named Zipporah. He marries her. They have two sons. His father-in-law, Jethro, treats him like his own son. And Moses stays there with him for 40 years. Hear me now. See, we don't ever talk about time. So Moses is 80 years old when he has the most dramatic thing that could ever happen to him. He's 80. He's out one day doing what shepherds do, 
they're grazing with the sheep, and he's near Mount Horeb, which to them is known as the mountain of God. I don't know why it was called the mountain of God, but it just simply was. And he takes his sheep there, and watch this now, watch me, walk with me on this one. And that's when something happens. All right? He's in an average place. That's the first thing I want you to know, just like when you're at the house. You're in an average place. There's nothing unusual about what's going on. Shepherds would take their sheep there, maybe because that's what good grazing was. Maybe because there was good grazing land and water. Whatever it was, it was, Mason, uh, an average place. An average place. Let's go to Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, and walk with me as I give you this formula for turning your home into a place of worship. All right? Verse 1 says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law. Well, let me say this to you. Moses had been told by his father Amram when he was younger that God had promised him that he would be mighty. Well, Moses thought that's because he was in Pharaoh's house. But Amram knew that him being mighty didn't have anything to do with Moses living in Pharaoh's house. We're finding out later that Moses being not mighty was going to allow him to challenge Pharaoh and be the spokesperson for his people. But how does that start? And so verse 1 says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of, of, Mid the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. That's verse 1. It's an average place. He's there all the time. Nothing ever happens there. The reason people never wanted to be shepherds is because it was boring. All you did was watch the sheep, and you had to watch them because there were always wild animals who would come. And you had to be a shepherd on guard to protect them from the wild animals. Cam, it was dangerous. David told us about this. This is how he knew how a shepherd's job was to protect his sheep. And he also learned how to fight the lion, the tiger, and the bear. That's why he knew the, the, the shepherd is going to protect the sheep. And that's what Moses was doing at age 80, which at that time was, was young. But while he's there in an average place, an angelic presentation comes. I'm in an average place. An average place. Verse 2 says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, watch this now, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. An angelic presentation, help me now. It wasn't unusual, y'all, for a fire, for, for, for bushes to catch fire. No, that, that wasn't unusual. That wasn't unusual. How many of y'all know I'm telling the truth? We can go to California right now. There are probably right now hundreds of acres on fire right now in California. There's always a fire, it seems, going on on the West Coast. In fact, hundreds of acres burn, and, and that's a natural part of, of simply being in the forest. It helps to rejuvenate the forest. They have control burns. In the forest, where the, the, the wild, the, 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 the people who manage forests, foresters, will come in and set a fire so they can burn and thin out certain parts of it and regenerate new growth. So it wasn't unusual for a shepherd to have a spontaneous bush catch fire. But this wasn't the same thing, y'all. This was different. Why was it different? Because the bush was on fire, but it was not being consumed. See, the energy in a wildlife fire is the tree. That's the fuel that keeps it going, which means that the fire is using the energy. It's burning up the tree in order to keep growing. The problem with this is this produced no byproduct. It's on fire, but there's no smoke. 
There's no smoke because the, the, the wood is not burning. Not only is there no smoke, Deacon Hudson, there's no sound. If fire is burning up a tree, you're going to hear the tree or bush being consumed. You're going to hear the popping and the crackling, and that's not happening. The fire is there, but the bush is there too. An angelic presentation is there, and it's so phenomenal that an old 40-some-year shepherd gets, it gets his attention. So much so that the next thing he says is, and Moses said, verse 3, I will turn aside and see what this great sight, why the bush is not burned. So here we have an average place that in the twinkling of an eye is visited by an angelic presentation. That's almost like turning your TV on. Yeah, in the twinkling of an eye. I don't know about y'all, but I don't have to wait till the tubes warm up in my TV. No more. I can just flip it on. Twinkling of an eye. Before long, I've got an angelic, I got church going on just from turning on my TV, and that gets the attention of the person. Moses' attention was firmly entrenched in what was going on. Yeah, Moses is trying to pay attention and see what is this phenomenon? What is going on here? It's subtle, but it's enough to get his attention. Something out of the ordinary is enough to get his attention. We always say that whenever there is an angelic, that's what it says, it says an angelic presentation. Watch this. Verse 4 says, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, that's Moses, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, he being Moses, here am I. So we've got an average place that in the twinkling of an eye has an angelic presentation, which we call, right, is that a theophany, a theophany, which is the presence of God in our space. Now we say it's a theophany because a theophany refers to God, but what it really was, we believe, is probably the pre-incarnate Jesus, which would be a Christophany in that space, standing there talking to Moses. And folks say, how can it be Christ in the Old Testament? Because we don't see Christ till he's in the New Testament, but Christ made everything. So God is, uh, Christ was pre-existent. Remember, he was with the Father before he came to be with us. And God had him busy too. Yeah, he was his son. He had him doing things. We know he was busy because a little bit later we're going to find out that he stood in the fire with the three boys. Yeah, this Christophany, he's there and he makes it personal. That's when you know that something's going on. He gave Moses the assurance that this is not something that's just happening. This is personal. And that's when you know you're in a different space. What I'm saying to you is your home, your place, though it can be average one minute, in a moment an angelic presence can come. And if you've opened yourself up to the curiosity that comes from seeing what's going on, the Lord can make it personal to you. Oh yeah, he can call out to you in that space if you open yourself up to hearing what he has to say. Now that's if you're paying attention. Now if you're double-minded, if you're still trying to eat your Cheerios and not paying attention to what's going on, if you decide I'm going to watch church and eat breakfast at the same time, no, what I'm saying to you is you need to focus on what you're focusing on. Focus, just like you're focused right now on what I'm saying. Because I'm trying to communicate what thus said the Lord. How do you put this in the right perspective so that you can hear what the Lord is saying? How do you make your home, your place, your chalet into a cathedral? How do you make it into a church? How do you make it such that God can step into your space? 
It has nothing to do with how much it costs. No, God doesn't visit you based on zip code. No, he, it doesn't matter how many rooms you got in your house. It doesn't matter if it's clean to somebody else's expectation. But what does matter is if there is a willing heart open to receive the Lord. Look, we're talking about God visiting somebody on the mountainside. It's already dirty there. We're talking about sheep grazing through there. They're not clean anyway. But God can take an average place and turn it into something that's far from average. And Moses shows us that right now. And the Lord validates his attention by making it personal. There, in the middle of the flame, Moses sees that the angel of the Lord is there, not the bush being consumed, but he is being beckoned. Yeah. It's Christophany. It's calling his name. Saying to him, Moses. Moses. Why does he say Moses twice? Well, that is... In the t at the time, saying somebody's name twice was a sign of affection. In other words, Moses would have picked up on the fact that he didn't accidentally call my name because he said it twice. He knows me. He knows me. Whoever this is calling to me right now, and I'm trembling just a little bit because at, at, I'm 80, and, and, you know, my knees might not work too good, but if it ain't right, I'm about to run and hide behind some sheep. Yeah, sheep going to be protecting the shepherd in a minute. But he says, Moses again, which relieves him. It's got to be friendly. Because when I see my friend, I say, Andre, Andre, what's up? And that's what God does. That's what God does. In the New Testament, when Jesus wants to get our attention and show us that something is really, really important, what does he say? He says, verily, verily. Verily, verily, I say unto you. Yeah, he puts a pen in it twice. And that's what he does with his name. Moses is greeted by this double utterance of his name, which was a familiar greeting, saying, I'm your friend. So we have an average place that's visited by an angelic presentation, which gets the attention of the person and some validation by assuring him that it's personal. And that couples with all that Moses' experience gives him an amended perspective. This is something different. Yeah, verse five says, then he said, watch this now, and this is important. Then he said, he being God, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Hold up, hold up, hold up. The sheep was just standing here. My sheep just went here. A moment ago, this was average. But the presence of the angelic one, coupled with the fact that he's made it abundantly clear that it's personal. He's done something that is absolutely unusual by being on this bush, but the bush isn't burning. That tells me that there is something unusual has changed the whole perspective of this place. Come on, help me now. How do you turn your living room into not a living room? How do you turn your living room into an eternal living room? How do you turn your den into a place that God comes? You don't. He does. When he comes, he makes it different. He changes the atmosphere in the place. If you let him in, suddenly your home is now a cathedral. If you allow it to become that, it can become this special place that you and the Lord can meet and he can communicate with you, but it's got to be holy. It's got to be holy, which means you have got to take common off. Sandals represent commonality. Sandals represent the dirt you drug in. Take them off. Get rid of that. Be here in your natural space. Is what God said. And don't come too close. No, don't come too close. See, the Hebrew people knew through their historical perspective 
that no one could look on God and live. Oh, no, 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 no. Why? Because he's God. He's God. And we don't have the ability in this dirt to be able to look, dust, to be able to look on him and survive that experience. And so you'll never find in scripture anywhere that anyone looked on the Lord and lived. In fact, let me tell you how it is. I'm going to step there and then I'm going to get out of here. Moses has this unique experience, his commissioning, if you will. This is his commissioning. Later on, he gets a, a chance to go up on the mountain and have another visit with the Lord. Now, Moses visited with the Lord more than anybody. They built a tent so that Moses could visit with the Lord. It was called the tent of meeting. And the Lord would come down and his Shekinah glory would fill the tent. You know, that's the smoke you see. Every time Jesus comes, it's like there's a cloud around him. That's called Shekinah glory. And it would come down, and God himself would come down and talk to Moses about what he expected after this commissioning. Moses asked God, he went up on the mountain one time, and, and, Moses, and God said to him, Moses, you can ask for anything you want. Anything you want, just ask me, and I'll make it yours. And Moses' greatest desire... Remember now, this is the 80-something-year-old Moses. I wonder what the 40-something-year-old Moses would have said. I don't know because God didn't call that one. He called the 80-something-year-old, and he said to him, he said, Lord, I want to, watch this now. This don't even make sense to some folks. Y'all going to say, sit down, Andre. He said, Lord, I want to know you. <laughs> I want to know you. In other words, whatever intimacy I can have, with you, I want you to share that degree of intimacy with me so I can know you. And God says to him, look, Moses, nobody can look on me and live. He said, but get over there, right over there. You see that little cut over there, that little divot? He said, get over there in that little cut of the cave. He said, and I will cause the backside of my glory. Not the front. You can't get no, no full vision. But I'll let the backside of my glory pass before you. And the backside of God's glory, I don't know what it did, but when Moses came down from the, from the mountain, they knew something had happened. They said his hair was gray. He looked as if he had seen a shark or a ghost. All because God let him see the backside of his glory. Now, folk running around here talking about they want to see the Lord. You better, you better mind what you're talking about. Yeah, because some things you can't have. Amended perspective. He's standing there. He's standing there. He said, take your sandals off. He said, don't get too close. Because even though he's God, he's dangerous. Uh-oh, come on now. Oh, he's, he's, <laughs> he's terribly awesome. But he's also dangerous. He's God. You don't touch him. You can't. You can't get too close to him. You can't touch a box that's got God's presence in it. Scripture says a man did that and died. And so he tells Moses, you know, Moses, Moses, watch out. We make God too familiar. We make him common. He's the creator of everything. He doesn't have to reduce himself and his awesomeness to us at all. He doesn't have to fit in our bucket. He ain't the man upstairs. He ain't the big guy. He's the creator. He's God. He's Elohim, and he deserves all the majesty we can ever imagine. We don't have enough words in our vocabulary to talk about how good he is, and Moses is standing there talking to him. And he says to him, take your shoes off. Yeah, take them little stomach and shoes off right now, Moses. 
whatever you got on ain't worthy of being by me. And he does it. He's approachable. <laughs> See, you ought to be shouting when you say, I'm in my living room and God is talking to me. I'm, I'm here in this space that was average. And now God is here with me. You ought to want to make it into a special location that you can come and meet with the Lord. Look, we serve a God who's holy and approachable. He's holy. He creates things. And he listens to me. He tolerates me. Even when I'm wretched and ratchet, he listens to me. This is the kind of God we serve. And so Moses does. Verse 6 says he accepts his presence. He accepts his presence. In other words, I know what I'm dealing with. Watch this. He said, he said, and he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses did what only somebody could do with the understanding of who they were dealing with. It says, and Moses hid his face. For he was afraid to look at God. Yeah, God gives you that opportunity. Same thing Isaiah said, woe unto me. I'm a man of unclean lips because he met the Lord. Same thing. That's an introduction. That's, a, that's an introduction right there. When God gets your attention on the mountainside, but your living room can become your mountainside. Your living room can become your average place that turns into a place of unimagined beauty and glory when God comes to visit you there. And I say your living room, it can be your den, it can be your garage, I don't care where it is. You can be sitting in the car, looking at it on your smartphone, it doesn't matter where it is. You can turn it into a space where you and the Lord can meet one another and you can listen to him, but you got to give him the glory that he's entitled to. You got to do it. Because he's worthy of it. This introduction was what Moses needed so that Moses could follow through on the commissioning he was about to. He, knows, he needed to know that this same God who met him on the mountainside was going to be the same one who's with him as he did what God wanted him to do. And can I tell you right now, Moses had no idea what was before him. He had no idea what God wanted him to do, but he opened himself up so that God could meet him and he could hear God and God could then direct him. Have you done that? You keep asking for more, more opportunity. Use me, Lord. Hear my Lord. Send me. Create an opportunity for the Lord to communicate with you. Stop inviting the uncommon into your common. He's not going to come into that space. And he's certainly not going to come when you want it for your glory. He's only going to come for his glory. You are a vessel. God saw Moses like he saw those sheep. And he used him in that way. And Moses was willing to be used. Look, he gave him his resume when he came out. He said, I'm the one that called Abraham out of Ur. I'm the one who gave the promise to his son Isaac, I'm the one that created your ancestor, Jacob, who I told you about. And when he started calling his family name, that's when Moses knew, oh, this is, this is the man. This is who we've been preaching and talking about. This is God. And he's saying, and now I'm visiting you. Burning bushes still happen. Burning bushes still happen, y'all. Oh, they might not happen on the mountainside like that. But you wonder if God is still visiting people like that. And I can tell you that God is still visiting people like that. He's still having extraordinary interactions with people every single day. The question is, have you had a burning bush moment? And if you have, I guarantee you would know it if you have. But have you identified your burning bush moment? Because it's burning bush moments that give people the drive. You see them on fire and you don't understand. It's just like Moses people probably didn't understand what lit Moses' fuse after 80 years. Moses' fuse was lit and he lived another 40 years working for the Lord. That's how the commissioning works. So watch this now. It happened at a secluded moment. 
It happened through a familiar object. There were subtle differences, no smell, no sound, no smoke. But there was a transcendent imminence that came upon the situation. And then there was a confirmable truth. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. I'm the God of George. I'm the God of Lila. I'm the God that they prayed to when you were born. I'm the one that Reverend Beverly told you about. He makes it plain that you know somebody that's been talking about him. Have you listened? Now, have you had any of those experiences? I can tell you. 1999, I was a youth explosion. We had planned it. We wanted to have a youth rally in the city of Tarrant. How many of y'all know that Tarrant could stand to have a youth rally right now for the Lord? They've been having shootings over there every day, it seemed like. Somebody needs to be over there telling somebody about Jesus Christ right now. 1999, we had planned a youth rally all spring. We were going to have it on the football field at Tarrant High School. We were going to pull a flatbed truck onto the football field. We had invited one of, the, one of the premier gospel groups in the community to come and be our act and invited a whole lot of other folk. And we woke up that morning and it was pouring out rain. And we were so dejected. Our kids were so excited. They had been working. And we were praying, Lord, let it stop raining. It wasn't going to start till 1 o'clock. And so about 10 o'clock, the rain sleep, uh, stopped a little bit. We were able to get the truck in. Truck came in, flatbed. And we were concerned because we are going to be outside with all this electronic equipment. We didn't want anybody getting electrocuted. And we, we had Pacina Baldwin now. She was our MC. We were, we were trying to go as big as we could. Why? Because he's God. And God's presentation deserves something like that. And we came in. And after 10, when the rain stopped, sun came out a little bit and we said okay we might make it we, we, we just might make it and, and come time for the youth explosion to start wasn't raining wasn't raining and so we started calling one act after another up and after another and they come up and they sing and they present and the kids were there and we were having a hallelujah good time in the Lord and we were saying thank you Lord and we had cell phones then and we called somebody because they were late getting there, and they said, well, y'all still having it? And we said, yeah. She said, well, I, I didn't think y'all were having it because it's pouring down raining over here where we are. And we said, it, it's not raining in Tarrant. It, it's not raining on the football field. It's, it's dry on the football field. Can't you hear the folk in the background presenting? And he said, no. She said, well, I'm on the way. We thought y'all had canceled it. So they started coming on in, and they were singing. And finally, our feature group came up, and, and he, they got up there, and they turned it out. I mean, they did exactly what we thought they were going to do. And we were so grateful to God. And Michael Sharon, our youth minister, got up there and thanked everybody for being there. And he said, bow your heads for the benediction. And he did. And he said, Amen. And the rain started. I was there. I was there all afternoon. I was there. He said, Amen. And the heavens moved aside. And the rain started. And we cried because God showed up in Tarrant City that day. I wouldn't stand here and tell you if I hadn't experienced it that day. God is still bringing us to burning bushes. I know I've seen a burning bush. It may not have been smoke. It may not have been any of that stuff that Moses had. But I know God was there that day. And I know some young folk met the Lord that day. And so all I say is go out and do what he told you to do. Go out and be what he told you to do. I mean to be because he's still protecting us. He's still blessing us. And guess what, y'all? He's still showing out. Because could nobody hold the rain back but the Lord. And he did it. And we shouted. We ran around in the rain, thanking him for the rain. Can I tell you something? God expects us to do something. Let him use your space. 
and turn it into a place that he can come and meet you and talk to you. His son is still loving you. His son died for us. Guess what? People have got to know that. We assume that every one of them is going to make it into this place. It won't happen. We've got to go out into the highways and hedges and the onlines and the chat rooms and, and to the Twitterverse and to, and to Instagram land and to, and, to, and to TikTok place and to everywhere and let somebody know that God loves us and that his son died for us. Have you told anybody? We enter to worship through whichever door we come in. Sometimes it's a portal. Sometimes it's a click. But we enter to worship. No matter how we get here, we still have to scatter to witness. Are you ready to do it? Will you leave and tell somebody about how good God is? My prayer is that you'll have the courage to do it. That you'll go tell somebody about Jesus and him living, him dying, but most importantly, him resurrected. Is there one today who found out that Jesus died for him? Is there one today who wants to give his life to Jesus Christ? Glad to open the door for you. I'm glad to still be an ambassador. If there was any question about what I would do, one Saturday on a football field in Tarrant, I knew for a fact that Jesus was telling me to do the work he told me to do. That wasn't my commissioning, but I was so happy to be a part of it. Yeah, he's still giving and still blessing. If there's one, come right now. If there's one online and you want to be a part of a church fellowship, you want to be a part of the church, the opportunity is there for you to contact us as well. Simply let us know and we'll reach out to you and make sure that we talk to you about next steps. If there's one. Let them come. May the Lord bless you and keep you is my prayer. I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. Enjoy this Thanksgiving period and be with someone you love.